Hey there. Welcome to the Victory Cigar Podcast. My name is Connor and I am the host of this show. You are listening to episode number three. You can expect a variety of discussions about sports here. The MLB, the NFL, NBA, NHL, and NASCAR racing will be the focus of the show, but I will talk about just about anything that grabs my attention in the world of sports. On today's episode, we're going to discuss the MLB rule changes for 2023, my way too early predictions for the MLB season, the NBA All-Star Disaster, the Daytona 500, final race at Auto Club Speedway. So, I haven't been here, We I just didn't have time last week to get an episode in, so I didn't get to talk about a couple of these things last week, but um, you know, here we are doing them now on uh, February 27th, 2023. Uh, first things first, I, we're going to discuss the MLB rule changes and and my opinions on on that um obviously through the baseball season we're going to discuss a lot of uh major league baseball on this show um and i'm sure that these are going to come under scrutiny all year and so we'll we'll start with the we'll start with what i believe to be the most minor rule change which is the bigger bases i i wasn't really sure how or why people were complaining about the bigger bases i mean yes it reduces the distance between the bases um like getting from home to first is now three inches less getting from first to second is now four and a half inches less uh second to third four and a half inches and of course third to home same as home to first three inches the previous base was 15 inches and the new ones are 18 inches I really don't see the big deal here. I don't even think you're going to notice visually. I think it's too... I mean, obviously, side by side, you notice. But I think when you're just looking at the field, you're not really going to notice that much. And, you know, they they claim that the reason uh, that they changed these is to have... Uh, to prioritize player safety. You know, guys getting their hands and feet and ankles and stuff stepped on and or ran into and whatnot. I really don't think it's that big of a deal. I just don't I just don't see why there were there were people that were so upset about this one. I don't think it's a very big deal. I, that's just the long and short of my opinion on that. I, I don't think there's much else to say. If I'm wrong, you know, tell me why. But uh, I, I just don't really think it's that big of a deal. Um, the next change was uh, to the shift. I mean, the shift has become a controversial topic over the last several years. And originally, I was of the position, uh, say, maybe four or five years ago, I was of the position that, well, hey, you know, you got to hit it where they ain't. And if you can't hit it where they ain't, that's your problem. Well, my position on that changed for a few reasons. I think a, a big one was actually the science into why, uh, for example, left-handers are shifted on so much more significantly than righties and at a higher percentage. Uh, both, I mean, significantly in the sense of the way that the, the players are positioned on the field, the positioning, uh, and of course the percentage being the amount of times that they come up to to hit that they're shifted on. And... 
what really made it come together for me, I think, better than anything else was, uh, for changing my position, that is, is that there are predominantly right-handed pitchers in Major League Baseball. And when a right-handed pitcher throws any pitch, really, it has a natural spin, it has a natural tailing, if you will, to the left side, if you're the pitcher, you know, as you're a right-hander throwing the ball, if you're facing home plate, to the left side of the plate, which is where the left-handed batter is, is of course, standing. Uh, it tails into left-handed hitters, which causes them to naturally pull the ball. Which is interesting that it took this long, really, to sort of figure that out. But throughout history, there there had been shifts on left-handed batters, more predominantly than right-handed batters throughout history. It was a natural inclination. You know, people noticed, like, hey, you know, that Willie McCovey guy seems to really pull the ball, you know, to, to right field a lot. and and Or... Um, you know, this George Brett guy does that or whoever, right? Like any, any of these, any great left-handers, you can find a lot of examples of them being shifted on. It, even long ago, 50, 60 years ago. And that was just a natural, you know, people just noticed with the naked eye. Forget all the advanced analytics that we have now about every at-bat and every, you know, every pitch from every at-bat uh, throughout a season. That was just a, a thing that was noticed. Like, hey, left-handers seem to be pulling the ball to the to uh, to right field a lot, to that direction, that side of the field. So, you know, we'll shift some guys over. That's been going on forever. Now, uh, so I found that very interesting. You know, majority pitchers right-handed, and lefties kind of have no choice but to pull the ball. So naturally, um, left-handed pitchers to right-handed batters, right-handed batters have a tendency to pull the ball more against them as well because a lefty is going to tail to the right, uh, to a batter, a right-handed batter's hands. And that's why right-handed batters against right-handed pitching aren't shifted on as much and consider, oh, look at the way that they use all the field. Well, it's the ball tailing away from them that allows them to hit the ball towards the middle of the field or the opposite field more often than a lefty is usually capable of doing. And because there's some great hitters, great left-handed hitters that are great, you know, not just pull uh pull ball hitters trying to hit home runs every at bat. Not your, not all not all lefties are your Joey Gallo types. Um there is plenty of great left-handed hitters who are great at making contact who are shifted on. Because they pull the ball. They basically, they can't help it. And, or there's very little they can do to help that situation. And without, of course, sacrificing tons of power to just try to poke the ball the other way. Which is a different story entirely. But, the, but, but the, you know, it's still damn near impossible when the ball's tailing in on your hands. But... So that that's a reason. So right-handers don't get, that's why they don't get shifted on at, at as high of a percentage or as extremely when they are. And uh, because they are capable, they are more of a threat of going to center field or right field than a lefty is because of science, basically pure and simple. So that was a big point for me that start, that swayed my opinion big time on that issue. And the other one was that the shift rates just got out of control 
I believe if you look up, uh, let's see here. It's the only thing I didn't have uh, pulled up here. I believe that it is, is it Savant? Might be Baseball Savant here. Yeah, Baseball Savant has it. So if you visit Baseball Savant, which is a great website for the advanced analytics nerds or just any sort of analytics that you're trying to find about Major League Baseball, they will show you uh, not only team shifting tendencies to, you know, how often a team shifted against, you know, X, Y, and Z and what the uh, outcome was, what the what the batter, batter outcome was. But um, so what's what just what's extremely interesting is how over, I believe it was since 2015, or if, or if you go back to 2015, 2016, so not that long ago, right? About six, seven years. The shift rates for, I have to, I have the team shifting rate uh, up here under the uh, under the visuals. Let me see. We should have um, shift uh, shift rate. Just have to find that here. Field visualizer, fielder positioning. No. Let's see, player shift rates, MLB. I know they have this here. Just trying to find uh, where it is. Is it specific? We have to do builder positioning. Well, regardless, point being that uh, shift rates have gone through the roof. I was trying to find individual statistics for the for the batters. I've found them before. Oh, hold on. Team positioning. Um, okay. I th think we got it here. Hitting. No. Can't seem to find it. I needed to have that uh, set up beforehand because I've, I've got uh, team positioning. Is it? Do I need to do batter positioning? How do we reset these uh, search results here, Savant? So I just click on something and it um, it is not. Updating. Well, okay. That's not great. Just trying to show not updating the positioning leaderboards. Anyway, uh, I mean, even if we just go back and look at the team positioning, this will tell us the story. I, I was going to compare. Uh, off the top of my head, I believe back in like 2015 or 16 was David Ortiz's last season, and he was the highest shifted on player in the league. And if you put the same number uh, into like today's Major League Baseball, he was something like top 20, but it wasn't, it was not number one. There was people that were shifted on much more than he, and the numbers are just ridiculous fall-offs. But we go back to 2016, and we check um, the charts on that. The team that shifted the most... In 2016 were the Astros. Funny, funny, right? The, the analytical department being ahead of so much. I won't make any trash can jokes. Uh, but I, I try not to. I'm going to refrain. Um, they shifted 34% of the time. As a whole. 
34% of the time as a whole. They did a total of 2,020 shifts in 5,949 plate appearances. Now, versus right-handers, they only shifted 19.7% of the time. Against left-handers, they shifted 51.9% of the time. So that was in 2016. We have had seven major league seasons, including the 2016 season, but six since then, right? Uh, Full seasons. Now, Let's talk about the top five teams here, though. The, the Tampa Bay Rays, they shifted 25% of the time. 19.9 against righties, pretty much identical to the Astros. And 34.9% against lefties. So significantly less. The Astros were definitely ahead of their time here on both right-handed and left-handed shifts. And the Mariners only shifted 23.8% of the time. They only shifted 9.1% of the time against righties. One out of every, basically, 10 batters, give or take, almost, right? Uh, they, bat- they they ran a shift against righties. But against lefties, they shifted 49% of the time. Every other batter against lefties. And, of course, this is... As I said, it, it's been common knowledge for a long time, you know, shift against lefties. That's shifting I, all the way back to my little league um, or or into my high school days uh, and everything, playing playing baseball. You know, definitely by the time you're up to when you're up in upper high school, you're on varsity at the varsity level. I mean, yeah, it was every time a lefty came up, you shifted over. I played second base primarily. And um, when, uh, when a lefty came up for forever i'd been doing it forever but by the time we got to high school and you got kind of got up to that level it was absolutely being hammered in and and taught to to everybody by that time uh to for the outfielders to shift over the infielders to shift over you always did it you didn't do these crazy joey gallo type shifts with five outfielders and all that nonsense that, that was going on but you sh- you shifted over a lefty came up and and at second base right i'd i'd step over three four steps right uh, to my left, and the and the first baseman would hug the line, and uh, that you know that's just how you play it. And if it was you know if it was kind of a bigger kid, right, you'd play back towards the grass, and if it was a smaller kid, you'd play up uh, a bit, but you'd still be shifted over. And um, anyway, so that was that's common knowledge, but we never moved for righties. You kind of played your standard defensive defensive positioning for righties. Anyway. Uh, so again, it's it's not surprising to see the shift numbers pretty high for lefties, even even six seven years ago. But uh, the the Rockies are the fourth team on the list who shifted twenty two percent of the time against uh, right handed batters, and or sorry, overall twenty two point six, and against right handed batters it was seven point eight percent of the time, barely ever. But they shifted against lefties forty three point nine percent of the time. So again, still kind of hovering in that. You know, one out of every two batters sort of thing. The Brewers were fifth in total shifts with 21.6. 14.7% against righties, 29.9% against lefties, so fairly low. Now, what's interesting is that after the Brewers, after that top five, 20% or less by everyone else. The Yankees were in six with 19.6. So nobody goes over 20% shifts in total 
for the entire rest of Major League Baseball, the other 25 teams. Nobody else goes over 20% total. The Yankees shifted against righties 5% of the time uh, in 2016 and 41% against lefties. However, kind of outside the Yankees, the Orioles are the team that is uh, two spots, or sorry, the Padres were below them at 37.7 against lefties and 6% against righties for a total of 18.9% shifts per at-bat. But when when you go below the Padres at 7, the shifts against both right and left fall off dramatically. There's 27% against lefties, 25, 26, 20, 26, 17, 17, and, and downward, and kind of in that range. It was, is I would say as an average, it was probably a, around 20, 22% maybe. Um, if you averaged out the rest of the league, it's, it's around 20% uh, against lefties. And against righties, it's around 5% you, if you average out everybody else, or maybe even less once you get past the, the seven, seventh team. So those top seven teams were a little bit ahead of the curve with shifts, but they certainly hadn't, they, not to the extreme that we see today, which we'll get into in a minute. So, um, yeah, there's a major, just a major fall off after that with the teams averaging about shifts about 10% of the time overall and shifting about 5% and, uh, you know, give or take 5% and maybe give or take 20% against against the the lefties. So let's uh let's fast forward to 2022. Now that we've uh, we've discussed that. So remember how the in in 2016 the there was nobody outside the top 5 that shifted more than 20% of the time. When we fast forward to 2022, the lowest shifting team by percentage in Major League Baseball shifted 18.5% of the time. It was the Rockies. 18.5% of the time. That would have put them in 8th place in 2016 for, for total shift percentage. And it, and, and it would have put them within a half a, a percentage point of, of taking 7th and a percentage point of being in 6th. They'd be just out there, just outside the top 5 if you, fast, if you rewind back to 2016, but at 18.5% shift percentage, nah, that's, that's last in Major League Baseball. Now, you want to know what was last in Major League Baseball in 2016? The Miami Marlins, who shifted in total 1.3% of the time. 1.3. They were also awful. Goes to show something, right? Now, they're still awful. <laughs> we fast forward to 2022, however, and... The Rockies shifted 18.5% of the time. Now, remember how um, the top five teams or or the or outside the top five, again, in 2016, outside the top five, there was nobody over 20%. Well, with the exception of the Rockies this past year at 18.5, everybody was over 20%. Everybody. The Guardians were 29th at a 22.6% clip. 22.6 would have put them in fourth place in 2016. Fourth place. So, obviously where you can see where I'm going with this is that the, the numbers at the towards the top are going to be asinine, right? You are correct. So, the number one team in shifts this past year 
were the Los Angeles Dodgers, who shifted 52.2% of the time, 3,043 times in 5,832 plate appearances. 52.2. An uptick of 18 percentage points in those six years since the 2016 season for the number one spot. They shifted against right-handed batters this past season 42% of the time. Which, of course, comparing to the number one team, the Astros, in 2016, they shifted against right-handed batters 19.7. So double, twice as much. In against left-handed hitters, Remember, against left-handed hitters in 2016, the Astros were way ahead of the curve. Way, way, way ahead of the curve and shifted 51.9%, basically 52%. Well, the Dodgers shifted against left-handers 70.5% of the time for the total of 52.2 overall. The Astros continued their wild shifting ways against lefties this past season. They Astros didn't mess around. Lefty came up, they shifted. 82% of the time, the Astros shifted against lefties. Now, interestingly, they only shifted against righties 25% of the time this year. Houston did. So, you know, keep an eye on Houston. They're, they're always ahead of the game on that. But our top five... To compare our top five from 2016, let me run those over again. I won't give you the teams, but just here... Top five in 2016, 34%, 25%, 23%, 22%, 21%. That's your top five total shift percentage, righties and lefties. Our top five in 2022, 52, 50, 50, 45, 44. I mean, you can tell huge differences there. Pretty much double across the board for everybody shifting twice as much as they did. And the right-handed, left-handed again. We'll go over 2016 briefly. 2016, right-handed, 19, 20, 9, 8, 14, 5. Sorry, that was six teams. My fault. I read too many. But that's your top six. 2022, top six, 42 against righties, 42, 25, 43, 34, 36, 26 rounded up or down just for purposes of not reading off all the decimal points. But I mean, there you go again, same story, same story. I mean, just doubling or tripling in some of the cases there, the amount of shifting against right-handed batters. And of course here's lefties, your 2016 lefties again, 51 Astros, sorry, 52, 35, 50, 44, 29. 2022 against lefties, 70, 82, 60, 63, 55. So yeah, same story statistically, of course. Um, I know we could have just gone by total percentages, but I wanted to give you the right and left breakdown. But pretty much double across the board. Uh, Definitely over double against right-handed for most of the guys. Sometimes triple, even some of these are four times as much. And, of course, against lefties, they were already shifting a lot, but still up uh, 50%, give or take, for the most part. Up up over 50%, for sure. And, again, there was nobody in Major League Baseball this past season 
who shifted less than 22.6% uh, of the time, except the Rockies. 29 teams shifted at least 22.6% of the time. And uh, against lefties in particular, uh, the lowest team was the Rockies because of their lower, lower total shift total at 27.8% of the time. But everybody else in Major League Baseball was not under 39% for, for lefties. And I'd say the average in Major League Baseball was close to 60%. Just looking at the numbers raw here, it's probably about, I'm, I'm eyeballing it, to be fair. But I'm eyeballing it looking at these numbers. I'd say that the Major League Baseball was shifting against lefties around 57, 58% of the time. Uh, which, of course, is a massive difference from 2016, where they were probably shifting against them, like I said, Back when we talked about that before, maybe 20 low 20s percent of the time, 24, 23 percent of the time. So, you know, easily double there as well, double or more. And so that's why I've been this. I've been kind of drawn out in discussing the shift here. That is why I was explaining. So that kind of sums up my position that why I my opinion changed. Five years ago, I would have said, hit it where they ain't. I don't say that now. Understanding the way the ball tails against uh, left-handed hitters in particular uh, and the statistics showing that it basically got completely out of control. I mean, how many times did you watch a game and you watched a guy just smoke one? I mean, it's hard enough to hit in Major League Baseball, right? And guys throwing 103 mile an hour cutters and sinkers now, right? So it's hard enough to hit in Major League Baseball. And sometimes it, it's just, it was so disheartening when you'd watch a guy smoke one. And in your head, your baseball watching head, you've been watching, you know, I've been watching baseball my entire life. I, I played it a long time, I've coached it a long time. It's been a part of my life uh, for a very long time. And I've, I've watched countless, watched and played countless innings. Major League base or of baseball, and, and watched plenty of Major League Baseball, and you'd watch you know you'd see somebody hit one, they'd smoke one, you go oh that's a double in the gap, something right or or oh there's a base hit, and the camera pans the you know the other the other camera you get the camera shift and it's caught, it's hit directly at somebody you know some second baseman that's playing um uh thirty feet into the outfield. It's it's hit right to him. Lazy play. You know, some ball that was smoked you think is a base hit. Nah. Ball that you think is smoked into the gap. The uh the right fielder or center fielder jogs three, four steps to his left and makes a catch. And I just think that's bad for baseball. It the shift increase uh was one of the factors in creating this all or nothing ball. This uh three true outcome ball. This walk Homer out ball in particular, strikeout ball in particular, launch angle, everything. You got to hit a home run. And I personally think that the shift restrictions, I think is, is a, it's a good start. I think what they did here is good. I think, I don't think they should have to, I don't think they'll have to do anything else. We should see more true baseball, so to speak, as I see it. You know, I, I think that home runs are exciting. We like home runs, but, I thought back to when I was a kid and I watched Sports Center and they they'd have the top 10 plays of the day. You're watching Sports Center in the middle of the summer. Life is good. 
right? You're off school. Here's Sports Center. Here's the six o'clock, seven o'clock Sports Center or whatever. And you're watching the top ten plays, and there's and there's not really any other sports going on, so a lot of it's baseball, right? And what was more exciting? You know, as a kid, I'm sitting there, and you know, home runs are great, but I loved watching great defensive plays. I loved watching the web gyms. I loved watching. I loved watching a guy in a clutch spot, two men on, nail one down the line or drop one in the gap somewhere, and he's flying around the bases, and the crowd's going crazy, and the runners are scoring, and all that stuff. Right? That's that is to me, and, and I'm I am certain I'm going to get some people that listen to the, to this. Uh, that will disagree. Uh, maybe I won't. I don't know. But I'm I'm pretty sure I'm going to get some people to disagree. They go, nah, three true outcome baseball. That's the good stuff. Not to me. And I'm not asking for, I, I, I'm not necessarily saying like, hey, yeah, we need more weak guys that choke up on the bat and drop singles in or something like that. I still absolutely think there's value in players that do that, that are great at making contact and getting on base that way, the traditional way, so to speak. But it just... Three true outcome ball, it sucks. It it just does. That, that's my, you know, this is an opinion podcast. That's my opinion. I think true three true outcome ball sucks. I, I don't think that that is, we talk about a lot of these changes are happening because they're like the pitch clock and all that stuff because of, well, we need, we need to make the game more exciting. I think this makes the game more exciting. I think limiting... Uh, the shift makes the game more exciting. We'll talk about exactly how they're limiting it here in just a second. But that's how my opinion was swayed. Thought back to the, when I was a kid. Yeah, those doubles and you know shots down the line, balls in the gap, all that stuff. That that's fun. Watching the guys flying around the bases, you know, and and not just having the balls, seeing something smoked uh, up the middle, and the guys standing right there going, "Thank you, mine." Um, uh, and. I think that uh, I think this is going to be good. I think I think you're going to see the value of some left-handed hitters. I think you're going to see their batting averages go up. You're going to see their on-base percentages go up. Um, just pure and simple, you're going to see some of these lefties. I think that Corey Seager, for example, this past season, he only batted in the 240s. He's a career close to 300 sort of guy. I think maybe two 280 something. Uh, you know, upper twos. Uh, type type hitter. This past season, he only batted uh, I think 248 or something like that. Uh, and of course, I live here in Texas, and I go to a lot of the games. And um, but I think he's going to be a guy that Ranger fans are going to be even more excited about because, of course, he had a good season last year. Uh, but for for all the old heads that are going by pure batting average, they're going to go, "Wow, he played great this year." Because I I feel like he's going to benefit massively. There's going to be plenty of guys. All these these a lot of these left-handers who were already good contact, good at getting the bat on the ball. All their numbers are going to soar this year. I believe. Um, and I think this is going to be good for the game. We'll see if I'm wrong, if I'm eating crow about this later, but I think this is going to be good for the game. Now, what are the restrictions that they're doing exactly? For those that are wondering after we've gone over all the numbers. They are restricting the positioning of the infielders on both the left and right side of the infield. Two infielders must be positioned on either side of second base when the pitch is released. So, by the time the ball is released, thrown to the plate, the third base and shortstop have to be on the left side of the second base bag. The first base and second baseman have to be on the right side of the second base bag. The infielders, all four of them, 
uh, first, second, short, and third, they all have to have both feet on the infield dirt when the pitcher is on the rubber. Uh, by the time he takes the rubber, the fielders have to be positioned. They can be right on the line, but their feet have to be in the dirt. Shift restrictions increased batting average and decreased strikeouts in the minors while giving players more opportunity to show off their athleticism. So that that this is from Major League Baseball site, right? They're they're giving you the the reasoning behind them making these decisions because they did test these things in the minor leagues last year, I think in Double A. So the athleticism thing, I think it was Francisco Lindor that mentioned um, a year or two ago about shift restrictions that he loves them because it brings. This is a second facet that I wanted to discuss. It brings defensive value back to infield positions. Because when you're perfectly positioned, because of the analytics, the analytics say this, you have to be right here because he hits it here 36% of the time. When, when you are in perfect position, defensive value, especially in the infield, is minimized significantly. And that his opinion as a good defensive player Lindor's a great defensive player at shortstop. He wants to make plays. He wants to go, hey, my value is not just the bat. You got to take into consideration the, the danger that I pose on the field. I'm going to take hits away from your players. And uh and and the value to a team to have a guy who's going to take hits away from from people. Um uh, because defensive value especially in the infield had been lost over the last several years as well that's another facet to this forget the offense as well it's it's giving the defense and and having to make these strategy decisions around having good defensive players out there to make plays and bring him back web gyms bring him back guys you know ranging to their left or right and making spin around throws and jump throws and having to Having to uh, or or being able to really show off that skill set, diving stops, all that stuff that that's great for the game too. Um, you know they're they're like, it, take a look at Ozzy Smith, right? Ozzy Smith definitely never lit up the batter's box by any stretch of the imagination, but man, is it awesome watching some highlights of that guy play defense. And you know how often do you watch highlights of uh, of defense in any sport, right? But it's fun watching that guy, you know, watching highlights of that guy make plays, watching some great defensive plays in baseball. And I think that this increases the the uh, the frequency in which you should see those plays as well. So I, I, that's another thing that I agree with for that as well. And I, I think Lindor put that well. He said, "Hey, let me let me show you what I can do." I think that's good, and I think it's good that the players have that attitude. Or the play that maybe not all of them. There's certainly some bad defensive players that are like, ah, crap. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, so basically, you know, we saw some wild shifts. We would see the first baseman hugging the line on the outfield grass with the second baseman playing basically right field, the right fielder playing right center. Um, or hugging the, or sorry, the the right fielder hugging the line, the center fielder playing right center, the left fielder damn near playing center field, the third baseman would be out at second behind second base, um, or or over in the shortstop's position playing like a double play, shortstop double play depth with the shortstop playing second or behind the bag. It, it just got way out of hand. I mean, way out of hand. The amount of times over the last couple of years, uh, I'd explain this to people that I was with. Um, Especially if they were, you know, maybe not as experienced, I'd go to, you know, go to to some ball games with my parents, and I'd sit there with my mom or dad and say, 
you know, explaining to them, like, in my opinion on the shift that has been constant over the last couple of years and going, look at this. I said, just watch. Anytime you're at any of these games, you go to these games, I'm not here. Just watch every time. Watch when a right-hander comes up. Watch what they do. Watch when a left-hander comes up. Watch what they do. All that stuff. And it, it like said, it was just happening on just about every play. And I, I think these things are, I think these things are good. It's basically saying, Hey, third base shortstop, you got to stay on the left side of the infield, first base, second base, left side of the in, or right side of the infield and keep your feet on the dirt. Uh, you know, the outfielders do not have any restrictions. The out the lefty comes up, the outfielder wants to shift over to the right and, and play against the line. He can, and this, and the center fielder and everything, uh, you're probably going to see that that's, you're just, you're going to see the outfield shift and whatnot. Um, but they will not have the additional help of deep infielders uh, that were that are out there to play the middle ground and all that stuff. Uh, I, I think you're going to see an increase in offense this year, and you're going to see an increase in web gyms too, both sides of that. So anyway, long story on the talking about the shift. I am 100% for this, 100% for, for this change. Um, it's pretty much exactly the way that I thought it should be executed too. Uh, my original idea in talking talking among friends about this and stuff for the last couple of years was pretty much this. I said, I said, I I don't I really don't care what the outfielders do, but the infielders need to stay in the damn infield, and they need to not be able to cross the bag. the 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 second base bag should be the line. You know, you want to if you want to play the the double double play depth sort of way against a lefty. You know, shortstop wants to back up there and play close to the bag. Go ahead, but don't you crossing over is too far. That's foolish. And uh, so they kind of executed really what I what I was really hoping for from the beginning uh, of my opinion shifting on this. Uh-huh, nice pun. Anyway, uh, that's that's it on the shifts. That's my opinion. You know, you guys that listen, let me know on Twitter or in the Discord and stuff. Uh, what you guys think, but um, that's uh, that's that's my thoughts on it. We'll see how it plays out. The final rule change is the pitch timer. Now, here's one that I don't like, um, at least not in the way that it's currently implemented. So I'll read down the rules of what they're doing here for this. Uh, there's a pitch clock now for how quickly a pitch has to be thrown because Major League Baseball felt as though there were far uh, the games were far too long and. Uh, I believe that they actually do have a point with that because I saw the other day I saw the other day a list um I think I have it here yes I do of year by year going all the way back to 1946 and actually a little bit before that, but they just there were some years that they didn't have the data, but they've actually had the data on this since 1946, every single year since 1946. Um, and we've even got some miscellaneous from 36 to 43, they kept track of it. And in 1928, they had it. And in 24, 25, 26, 1911 to 1915, they had it. It's pretty amazing uh, that they even kept track of this at, the, at even as far back as then, but they've kept track of it every year since 1946. There's just there's some gaps dating back to 1911 in there um, during the late teens and the 20s and the early 30s. Anyway, uh, I think they actually do have a point about this. the The games were going too long. Uh, I I I actually agree with that. I didn't at first, but then when I 
I kind of didn't agree. Like, ah, no, they've always been the same length. They're actually right. They haven't been the same length. Um, if you look from 2022 to 2000 to about the year 2000. Yeah, about the year 2000. They were averaging pretty close to three hours a game for about the last 20 years. And in recent years that it's gone up and up and up. Whereas games in the uh, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and into the 90s, it started to creep up a little bit. But even through the 90s, it was still around. Well, no, it started to creep up in the 90s. So, So... 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, where we have the statistics all the way back to 46. It's about two and a half hours for a game. Two and a half hours. In the 90s, it's it started to creep up. It started to creep up and was much closer to the average time. Um, we have the list here. It's on baseball reference. You can find it. It's major league miscellaneous year-by-year averages and totals. Um, and it it gives it's got all kinds of miscellaneous things, attendance per game and league payroll and all this stuff. But one of them is time per nine innings and time of games and innings played. Um, and the time in the 90s pretty much jumped from about the two, well, I guess even in the 80s it was creeping up. It was about two hours, 45 minutes in the 80s. But it was it crept up and it was really at the two hours fifty, two hours fifty seven, fifty five, fifty six, fifty four, fifty seven. By two thousand it was an average of three hours a game. Early two thousands, it's in that same two hours fifty five kind of range. But we're basically for the last twenty five, thirty years, we are at about three hours a game. For three hours a game for 162 games, I can see their point, I guess is what I'm saying. I can see their point. And, it, and it's a baseball game. It's it's supposed to be a longer, it's not supposed to be basketball. There's flashing lights and there's sounds and there's dunking and they're sprinting around. And it, it's it's not, that's not the essence of baseball. That's not the game. I understand that. But... I, I do agree that trying to get it back down in that two and a half, even two hour 45 kind of range is probably what needs to be done. And I do disagree with, I, I disagree with how they're exactly how we'll get to that in a second, but I'm just painting out my, my point on this. Um, I just, I agree. I think that three hours and averaging last year, the average time per nine innings was, three hours and three minutes the year before it was three hours and 10. So it's like when you're, when you're approaching, you're on the fast track basically to, to getting close to, to three and a half hours in these. Uh, and that's the time per nine innings. Now the, so the total time is also listed there and uh, it was three hours and six minutes last year and three eleven the year before. But I, I just think that, that I agree with that, that when you're well over three hours now, when you're at three and a quarter average, three and a quarter hours average time. Sure, there's some quick games. Sometimes it's like, wow, that game was over fast. It was over two and a half hours. You know, maybe it was a, there wasn't a whole lot going on. Low scoring affair. A lot of strikeouts or something. A lot of, a lot of outs. Uh, but there's absolutely, I mean, phew, I'm a Yankee fan, right? 
and those Yankee Red Sox games that I've been watching for the last 20 plus years, you'd have some games over four hours, four and a half hours. They're taking forever in those Yankee Red Sox games. Um, so I absolutely see the, I absolutely see what they see that this is too long and that people are, there, there is definitely less interest in watching three hours of games every day. There's lots of things to do. There's lots of things. That, and that what's different now about say in the 1980s or 1990s, even is that there's a lot of things I'm kind of going off the script here a little bit, but there's a lot of things that compete for the entertainment dollar, right? We, we all understand this, right? We all, not all of us are made of money, right? We, we only have a limited amount of money that, um, you know, ha- is going to have to be spent on essentials. You got to pay your rent. You got to pay your mortgage. You got to pay your, your, your light bill, your water bill. You got to pay for your food. Uh, you know, you, any, you have to save some money for miscellaneous expenses. You got to pay your car insurance, your health insurance. You, you know, you got all this stuff to pay for uh, with your paychecks. And so after you've gotten through all those things that you got to pay for, you got some entertainment money left, right? Or at least you, I hope you do. You know, it's, it's unfortunate if you don't. I'm sorry. Uh, but <laughs> obviously, if, if you're not doing so hot. But, you know, the, the idea is that, you know, you got to you know, you got to have some money to spend to entertain yourself. And, and that can be on your hobbies, you know, specifically, you know, maybe you like to, maybe you like to hunt or fish or something. So, you know, your entertainment money is you saving up to buy a, buy a new hunting rifle or fishing pole or whatever. Uh, or maybe you like to, um, of course I could be cliche here. Maybe, maybe you like to play because so many of us play video games, right? Maybe you like to play video games. So, you know, you got to save some money, buy the new console or there's new games coming out or whatever it is, or maybe you're, you need to buy a new TV or maybe you like uh, photography and you need a new camera lens or a new camera or something. Right. So anyway, you know, hobbies, right? You can spend money on hobbies like that, but there's also, uh, of course, entertainment, like, you know, going out, you want to go out to dinner, you, uh, you gotta, you got, you, you got some dates to take your lady on, or, um, you got, um, uh, you want to go see a movie or, or, uh, you want to visit a, a amusement park or whatever it is, right? There's a lot of things competing for the entertainment dollar and the entertainment I'm. So that's what I'm sort of getting to there is that not just for in-person attendance, of course, for major league baseball or anything that. They're competing for the entertainment dollar for in-person attendance that people could be otherwise spending on taking their family to an amusement park or a different sporting event, a concert, uh, you know, a vacation, you know, a trip going somewhere or whatever, right? There's, there's all these entertainment dollar um, uh, squabbles uh, in, 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 this, in that industry. And then on top of that, there's the time. Your everyday, like, you know, you come home from work, right? Um, come home from work, come home from school, and you've only got uh, a limited set of time. You know, if you've got a wife or girlfriend and, you know, you, you got to be able to do something together and maybe they don't like baseball. Um, and Or you got kids and maybe they want to do something else. They want to play in the yard or uh, go on a bike ride or something, right? You know, you got you got things to do. And... The you just a three hour baseball game 
or three hours, 15, three and a half hours. Because again, that three hours and, and six minutes from last year, I just see average. That's rough when that's the average. Because you could have in a given week, they could play six games and three of them, what that is saying, obviously, is that maybe all of them were three hours and six minutes and maybe some of them were three and a half hours, like three of them were three and a half hours and the other were two and a half hours and then it evens out in the middle of three. It, it, that's a lot of time every day when you think about how, you know, you get up for work and you, you, you know, you get up for work and, and you go to work for, for however long, six, seven, eight, ten, twelve 10, 12 hours. Okay. Uh, depending on your, uh, your schedule, you go to work and you come home. And again, you know, if you got a wife or girlfriend or kids and they need some time and attention or some things, you got to take kids to gotta take kids to baseball practice or dance lessons or, uh, you know, the, the wife wants to watch a movie or something or, or whatever, right? You got, you got things that are competing for your money. You got other things that are competing for your money as far as going to a game. And you got other things competing for your time. The money is a whole other conversation in how expensive professional sports have gotten. And interestingly enough, baseball is so much more affordable than any other sport out there at the moment. Uh, I'd say probably baseball hockey, basketball, football, as far as the top four there, uh, in the terms of, of expenses, uh, what it costs to go to a game. But, um, the, the time, your time and money are, are limited every day. And there's 162 games a year. And obviously not everybody watches every single game or, or you don't watch every single minute of them. But uh, what Major League Baseball is trying to do with this is they they are trying to get as much of your time as they can. And and they want to deliver the product. They want to be able to deliver the product to you to keep your interest in it. Because it's like, ah, nope, don't have time to watch the game today. But, you know, hey, if it's if it's shorter, that helps. Right? Sure, that helps. Now, blackouts are a whole other thing. That, that needs to be, we could talk forever about that and how stupid that is. But uh, so we won't. <laughs> but I think everybody's in agreement on that. Uh, but anyway, back to the, the 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 clock itself. So I understand where they're coming from. Like I said, wrapping that up, I understand where they're coming from. The games absolutely have gotten longer in, in the past uh, 20, 30 years. They've gotten longer, they, and they've gotten to a point of where it's like, yo, we got to dial it back. We can't have games be in three hours and ten minutes on average. And so I understand that. And they're, they're, they're competing for your entertainment time and your entertainment dollar. And the rule itself is that there is the pitch timer. There is a pitch clock of 15 seconds when the bases are empty, 20 seconds with runners on base. The hitter gets one timeout per plate appearance. You can't keep the hitter can't keep stepping out, holding his hand up, say, give me time, blue, and readjusting his batting gloves and all that. He's got he and he must be in the batter's box with eight seconds left on the pitch clock. The pitchers get two disengagements, a pickoff attempt or a step-off per batter. Any violations for uh, past that are a balk. So you can pick off twice or step off twice per batter. That's it. Limits on pickoff attempts led to a 26% increase in stolen base attempts in the minors, which, of course, people they think is exciting. And pitch timer helped reduce game length by 25 minutes in the minors in 2022. So if they manage to even decrease the game length by 20 minutes, 
they're down to two hours and 45 minutes instead of three hours and six minutes in Major League Baseball on average time. That is pretty significant as a, as a whole. That's pretty significant as a whole, if you ask me. Now, what I don't like, though, is that is, is the numbers themselves. I, I think that I, I thought about this two different ways. I thought that my two suggestions are that the pitch clock be around 25 seconds, but it just be 25 seconds for bases empty and runners on. It's just 25 seconds flat. Or 20 seconds bases empty, 25 seconds runners on. Something like that. Just a little bit, a little bit longer. Um, it should still save time. And it it should, you know, it, I think it's I think it's pretty wild to be moving at that pace in the ninth inning. I guess is what I'm getting at. Late in games, right? Um, I'm also fully in favor of. They probably won't do this, but I would totally be down for shelving the pitch clock in the playoffs. I I I think that, I think that that or increasing it or something. Okay, I I think that the playoffs you need it, it either shouldn't be there, or it should be a lot longer, thirty seconds, something. I don't know. Thirty seconds would be fine with me, or keep the clock the way it is. This is this is my second thing, so that's all part of one group of ideas that I have. Is basically too long, didn't listen. Increase the clock. It's it's too short. Fifteen empty, twenty seconds on is too short. Either make it twenty twenty five or twenty five flat for empty and and on something like that. Um, and the second idea is have it exactly the way it is right now, but seventh inning, eighth inning, ninth inning, it's off. You just turn it off completely from the seventh on. I I. I'd also say I'd also be down for eighth and ninth inning off, just ninth inning off, something better than what it is at the moment. But that's my personal opinion. Um, is is to the the down the stretch of a game. I I down the stretch of the game. Fifteen seconds with the bases empty is too short, and twenty seconds with runners on is too short. I just I uh, I don't like that down the stretch of a game. So. Those are my suggestions. Uh, you guys can let me know whether you agree with those or have different suggestions um, yourselves. But that's my opinion. If if you have to have a pitch clock, uh, which they which they are definitely going with, and that I I see their point again about the, the whole long discussion we had there. Those are my suggestions for if you have to have it. You have to have it. Either turn it off late in the game, leave it the way it is, and turn it off late in the game, or just tweak it a little bit. Just increase that a little bit. You know, um, make that, uh, like I said, either either 20, 25 or 25 flat would be good with me. And I, I think still is going to save you time, obviously. And um, uh, maybe is a better middle ground area. But um, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see how it works out. Maybe everybody will just kind of get used to it. Maybe everybody will just kind of get used to it. And we'll see if there's any change to that for the playoffs. We have no idea yet. Anyway, those are the the rule changes. Uh, to surmise again before we uh, before we move into the the next thing, which is still about baseball. But before we move into the next thing, surmising it, 
they're making the the bases bigger. They're being three inches bigger. I don't think it's that big of a deal. I, I if anybody's really whinging over that seriously, then I don't know why they're doing that. Um, it's if they claim that it's going to help with player safety, it's it's three inches. They're not making them enormous, enormous. It's 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 fine. I'm not too worried about that. And shift restrictions, big thumbs up right here. We talked we talked about that. I'm a big fan of the shift restrictions. I think they executed it well, and I think it's going to be good for the game. Uh, pitch timer, I understand where they're coming from on the pitch timer. I don't love it in its current iteration. I'd like to see it tweaked. That's, um, yeah, there you go. Those are my takes on all the rule changes um, in the too long, didn't listen format. Uh, the next thing I wanted to talk about is uh, just giving a very brief um, way too early prediction or dis- discussions about uh, some teams here. So we'll we'll keep this pretty short because it is way too early for this nonsense. Uh, but, you know, I got to join in on, on every other uh, platform that's going to do this. So I thought I would just pick the the winners of each division. I thought that would be the way to uh, to go about that. So I'll start with the American League. We'll go with the American League Central. I'm picking in the Central. Weirdly, I'm caught between the Twins. I'm caught between the Twins and the White Sox. And that might seem kind of wild because the White Sox weren't great last year. Um, What did they finish at? I mean, they finished second in the AL Central, but the the record wasn't wasn't great. Uh, they went eighty one and eighty one. Got second place in the Central um, last uh, last season. And whoops, screwed up all my my stat pages here. Uh, they finished second in the Central with an eighty one and eighty one. But there's a lot of talent there. There's a lot of talent there, and they got rid of um, Tony La Russa. Um, or, well, I should say got rid of. He, uh, I guess he retired, right? Uh, for health reasons. And um, I, I, I just think that Tony La Russa was not the guy for that group. They, they regressed under Tony La Russa. That, he was not the guy for that group. And there's a lot of talent there, and I could very easily see this this season seeing it act, come back together and click again uh the twins i the twins made improvements this off season they they made improvements i think that the the cleveland was it was a fluke that team's not good it, it's they relied on pitching uh which of course pitching does win you games just like defense wins championships and all that all those mantras pitching wins you games and all that stuff but that offense is still just ridiculously weak uh, overall, and uh, though though I guess it's interesting that the shift limitations, you know, maybe helps a team like that get get more base hits, perhaps. But I don't know. I don't. I just don't love their their chances there. I think last year was sort of fluky, uh, and whatnot. They could be exactly this as as good, but they just they still won't go far. Uh, but I kind of I kind of I, I don't know. I kind of like the Twins. Um, I kind of like the Twins to be a little better this year. I don't think the Twins are championship contenders at all, but I think that, uh, you know, barring that people stay healthy there, 
um, and everything. I think that they can be, uh, they could be a, a central winner, but I, I think I'd say White Sox. I think I'd say White Sox overall. In the American League East, um, I mean, without sounding like a homer, I think the top of that division is Yankees-Jays. I don't think that's a controversial opinion. Um, I think that, I don't know, I think that New York, as a Yankees fan, man, the, the, the biggest thing about the Yankees last year was they came out on a house of fire. They came out, or they came back down to earth second half of the year. Judge had a crazy year, of course, but they came back down to earth because they just could not get any consistency out of anybody except Judge, just about. Uh, they did get beat up in the in the second half of the year, too. The, I think the Yankees' pitching was pretty good last year overall. Bullpen got weaker as injuries took their toll, but the starters were pretty good last year. I think it, that if the Yankees' arms stay healthy and some of their key bats, the you know LeMayhew stays healthy, um, LeMayhew is a big piece of that offense that kind of helps uh, helps keep everything in check. When his bat's not reliable, that's tough. That being said, though, the Yankees didn't really improve um, on the on the offensive side of things. They they got rode on for the pitching side of things. Uh, but they didn't really prove, improve offensively. That is very concerning as a fan. They're, they seem to be pushing the chips into the middle of the table as far as their minor league, uh, their prospects that they that they are relying on. Peraza, potentially a Volpe sighting this year. Um, Dominguez, probably not this season, but the, his further development as well. They seem to be relying on that. Um, I'm, I don't know. As a Yankee fan, I'm not that, I don't know, I, I don't believe in them that much because they have just, they've let me down year after year here recently uh, with that ridiculous inconsistency. When the team is clicking, when the players are playing, when the players they have basically play to their career averages, they're nasty. But you just have way too many ridiculous cold streaks from Stanton uh, LeMahieu nagging injuries that have limited him, and and Donaldson's a mess. Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, uh, don't get me started on that bum. You know, just a lot of inconsistency, a lot of inconsistent play. But when they're when they're playing to their averages, they're they're pretty good. So we'll see. Uh, but the Jays, I I I was an early. I will stand on this hill. I was an early. Um, so last year, going into the season, they were the favorites. Everybody was like, "Oh, you know, they they signed, they got Barrios, and they, um, they got, um, gosh, what's his name, Gosman. Uh, they, these guys are the favorites. They're so nasty. They're so loaded, and they are good. And I think that they'll be in the mix to either win. I feel like it's going to be Yankees, Jays, one, two, and in, in whatever order, it could be Jays, Yankees. You know what I mean? It's one, two. Those are your top two teams. Um, but I was an early denier of how good they were going to be last year. I said it for all. I was like, why is everybody acting like this team is going to be ridiculous? They were good the previous year too. 20, um, 20, is that? 
year is it 2021 because um they had otherworldly pitching from Robbie Ray that that was out there and they had a 46 home run season from their second baseman Simeon right and of course they had a, and they had a ridiculous season from Vlad too an MV, MVP caliber season in 2021 from Vlad well last year pretty much everybody regressed you know Vlad was not as good as the year as the year before um they lost Simeon, so that was another thing where it was like people were like, "Oh, they're gonna be so nasty." It was like they lost a forty-six home run second baseman. You think that's easy to replace? Uh, they they did not replace that properly, uh, and they saw uh, they lost Robbie Ray. It was like, "Well, they added Kevin Gosman, yeah, but they lost the Cy Young winner. They they lost the guy that that won uh, won all those games for them last year and replaced him with a pitcher that's not as good." I don't think Robbie Ray is that great for the record, by the way, but he had an outstanding season and they replaced a guy who had an outstanding season um, with a guy who is just good. He's and who's not going to have the, the Robbie Ray type season. Um, I, I just, I just wasn't, wasn't that big of a believer. They, they lost a bunch of important pieces, replaced them with lesser pieces and then had players regress so I was not surprised at all with how the season went for the Blue Jays last year. At all. That they were not the God team that everybody thought they were going to be. Um, that being said, you can absolutely see some bounce back from them this year. And uh, again, trying to trying to not go on too long about this. Um, Jays or Yankees, it's hard to say who. I would honestly give the, the tip to the Jays. And, and I'm a Yankee fan. Uh, I'd give the tip to the Jays, but... Uh, I think if the Yankee pitching is uh, anywhere near as consistent as it was last year, that they'll be, they should be at the top there. Baltimore is coming though. Baltimore scares me. They're coming. They're coming. Boston, LOL. And you might be able to hit me with a freezing cold take at the end of the year because Boston randomly pops off again because they've just been up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down. But uh, LOL. I don't know what Shane Bloom is doing there. That guy's a dope. Anyway. Uh, in the West, it's hard to bet, bet against the Astros. It just is. It's hard to get bet against them. They won the World Series last year. Uh, however, you know that being said, Verlander's gone. That's big. Their other starters are good. They're not Justin Verlander. They lost a you know twenty win threat who had like a one eighty ERA or something last year. That's not easy to replace. You know, when they put him out there, they were pretty much saying, yep, this game's won. And they've got good pitchers, but they don't have they don't have any more Justin Verlanders. So I think that, that that's going to hurt them. And depending on Seattle, depending on whether last year was kind of a flash in the pan sort of thing or a fluke, which I don't think it is, but my personal opinion, but uh, I think the Mariners could be right up there competing with them. They could. We'll see. That we'll we'll see how whether we see any regression from the Mariners or if we see them continue to reach new levels. <coughs> Excuse me. The Angels did not do much to improve my opinion of the team. They didn't. Um, they're a wild card. They might come out and play decent. They probably won't. 
the Rangers uh, are absolutely, you know, I live here and everything, so I'm I'm pretty in tune with the, with them. The Rangers are going to be better this year. They are not going to win the division, I don't think. Um, that would take some catastrophic things happening to Houston or Seattle, I think. But they're going to be better, and they're coming. All right, I'm, I've been saying it for for uh, since last year when after signing Simeon and Seager, this ownership group is serious about winning. They do not want to be the second fiddle team in Texas anymore, and they also want to compete as far as being a big market team. They're throwing the cash around. They uh, Simeon, Seager, John Gray, those were good starts last year. This year, they go out and they they slap their their hand on the table, and they take the best pitcher in baseball. They gr- they grab Degrom, uh, and they bring in Evaldi, Nathan Evaldi, and uh, they they they're making moves. They're doing things. Um, so they're they're not quite there yet. They need their other young talent to to get up to the major leagues. They need to get them to major league speed. They got to get um, uh, lighter up here and and hope that he's good, basically as good as he's supposed to be. Uh, potentially Rocker as well, and and see what he turns into. They've got a guy named Cole Wynn who could be a decent you know mid rotation kind of guy as far as pitchers go. Uh, they're going to have Josh Young up this year. That's going to play third. Um, so they they're really they're they're lacking a bit in the outfield bats. Um, as far as at, at the current major league level at the moment, but they've got some other guys in the minors. They might be able to have some decent bats there. So they're but they're they're coming, they're coming. Watch out for them. Uh, it it they don't the, those owners are ready to not be a laughing stock anymore. Uh, which is not something that can be said about the Marlins or the Pirates or the Brewers uh, or the Diamondbacks or any of these other losers. Um, over in the National League Central, Cardinals. I mean, it, 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 that that's my choice uh, there. I I honestly feel like that's pretty clear cut. I don't even think that'll really be close. I think it's. I think your order is probably Cardinals, Brewers, Cubs, Reds, Pirates. I think that's your one, two, three, four, five. We'll see how it goes. Baseball's never never clear cut though, so you never know. In the NL East, very interesting division here too. Um I'm going to say the Braves. It's so tough. I'm gonna say the Braves, and here's why. Um they once again, work their voodoo magic to retain players for cheap. They lost Dansby Swanson to the Cubs. I really don't think that's that huge of a loss. He was a good player, but I don't think it's that huge of a loss. They retain uh, and and lock up several more guys here uh, at at reasonable prices to be able to continue to to sign or move pieces around or do what they have to do. Uh, they're good. They're just solid all the way through. And I I think that they will come out on top on the East. However, I think that if it's not them, it's not, it's not like this is a bold thing to say, but the Mets. Now, the reason I don't have the Mets as my top pick for the NL East is because of some question marks. There's still, there's some question marks in their offense. 
Um, they've, they, you know, they've got some great pieces in, in uh, several positions, but there's some shaky ground in several others. And I think that you're in a real tough position. I think their bullpen is still kind of shaky. Um, you know, they, they were real dicey last year that you didn't know which bullpen was going to show up. Um, Edwin Diaz, it, it's so t- He had a great season last year, obviously. Uh, but it is, uh, he's, ju- he just scares me, man. And they signed him to that extension and he just, he just scares me. Um, because I, I'm not totally sold on how good he is you know because he had some great years in seattle then some down years he's been up and down and yeah so i'm not totally sold on him or anything either but i i I think he'll be good again this year i just know about if he'll be as, as lights out as last year i think he'll be good again though but i'm not totally sold on him but my biggest qualm with the mets is that their season is relying on the arms of two guys that are 40 years old that's not a great place to be. Um, sorry. Their their season is lying on three arms. Two guys that are 40 that have a lot of mileage on those arms. And a third guy who is a complete unknown. The signing... Uh, this past off season out of Japan uh, for for them. Oh gosh, I just I had his name on my on the top of my tip of my tongue. Uh, Kodai Singa, sorry. Uh, Singa, it, he's a it's a it's a very risky looking deal. It's like a ninety million or ninety five million. For a guy that is complete unknown in Major League Baseball, he's only, um, you know, played in Japan, obviously, and that's a, I mean, that's a dice roll. That's your, that's your three in the rotation. That's your third pitcher for the Mets, and he's a complete unknown. Just you have no idea if he's going to be good or not, and the other two guys are, are they both officially forty? See, I know. Um, sure. Okay, Scherzer is thirty-eight years old. He'll be thirty-nine halfway through the season, and Verlander is definitely forty. I think he he's going on forty-one. Yeah, he's forty. Uh, no, he just turned forty. Sorry. Well, he is going on forty-one, but he just turned forty. So forty and thirty-eight, thirty-nine years old with a lot of mileage on the arms. And I think that if those guys are healthy and they deal the way that, that they we've seen them do through their career, absolutely. The Mets are dangerous and I would absolutely put them over the Braves. I am just worried about, about these arms that have a lot of mileage and Scherzer missed time last year. And, uh, they they tried to baby Scherzer all year too, even with the missed time with injury. They tried to baby him and keep his arm fresh because his arm died, famously died in the in the playoffs when he was with the Dodgers in 2021. It just his arm died. He just he couldn't throw anymore. Um, and 
they tried and still by the end of the year he was not the same Max Scherzer got lit up uh when they needed him most down the stretch the last few games uh got lit up in his playoff start he was not the same pitcher and uh when they needed him most he did not answer the bell and because of that mileage and that is scary and the same thing goes for Verlander because historically the last few years, Verlander's been a little shaky. The, like, the deeper you get into the season, it feels like, you know, you have a chance against him. You know, if it's May, you don't have, you haven't had a chance. If it's October, he's not the same guy. So, it's, and, you know, you could pull all the stats out that you want. That It's like, yeah, I know, like 2017 and 18, 19, you know, but... I mean, the last couple of years in particular, I, there's he's been a different dude at the end of the year. He just hasn't quite been the same guy. Um, and so that's scary to me if you're a Mets fan. Um, is is putting the putting the the hope of your season on two very old arms. Um, and then outside that, you might go, well, why aren't you picking the Phillies? Well, I just don't think the Phillies improved enough where they were weak. They were not weak offensively. They picked up Trey Turner. They were not weak offensively. They didn't really do enough. Um, they didn't really do enough where they were weak. Uh, and where they were weak was in the pitching category. Both starters and uh, bullpen. And... They, yeah, they just didn't do enough, to be honest. That that's just, I mean, that's just my my take. They picked up like Taiwan Walker for the starters, but he's already he's going to be the three in their rotation. He was like the three in the Mets rotation, three or four in the Mets rotation. I guess four behind Bassett last year. He just wasn't. He just wasn't um. Uh, a huge needle moving pickup. You know, they got to the World Series. Uh, in a, pr- a pretty luck- uh, lucky underdog sort of run last year. But uh, it's just, I don't see that translating again this year. They might make the playoffs again. Um, and they may even make a run, because that's all it takes, being hot at the right time. But they just, the pitching was was just too weak to, is too weak for me to justify placing them any higher. I think that they're they're battling for third and a wild card spot in the NL. Um, and in the West, lastly, um, I kind of feel like this might be the year that the Padres top the Dodgers. Maybe, 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 but it's, it's those two teams. Nobody else is competing there. I'm going to give the edge to the Dodgers overall because of just proven year after year that they just keep getting the job done. And the Padres have been kind of, they've been inconsistent with a lot of, excuse me with a lot of talent on the roster. Um, but I will say this might be, this might be where the Padres Padres made some moves to help move the needle this year. And that, that might be uh, that might be what finally gets them past them. And the Dodgers didn't really do anything in the off season, but the Dodgers are so loaded in their farm and everything that, you know, they're probably just going to pull out, you know, five more pitchers that throw 104 mile an hour screw balls or something. Uh, so, Edge to the Dodgers, but watch out for the Padres. Uh, Giants are not in a good spot. Uh, 
2021 was a fluke. Uh, Rockies, LOL. Uh, Diamondbacks, LOL. So that's uh, that's my take on that. So there's our way too early predictions for our division winners um, and everything. We won't even get to any sort of playoffs or who's going to win the dang World Series. We're just way too far for that. But there's your way too earlys on those. Um, getting into the uh, the next topic, though, uh, we're going to talk about the, the, the uh, briefly the disaster that was the NBA All Star Game. MLB, yeah, just that's uh, that's that. That's what I think about the rule changes. That's what I think on those predictions. Uh, we'll be talking plenty about Major League Baseball throughout the year and, and watching as the storylines develop. The NBA All-Star Game. Uh, that, let me take my victory lap from when I talked about it about 10 days ago or whenever the last episode came out. But uh, boy, what a disgusting mess that was. Um. As I, I I forgot to make my picks for the All Star Weekend, uh, I forgot to make my picks for the All Star Weekend in there, and um, pretty much funny enough, the people won that I kind of w- would have been leaning towards anyway. I don't even I don't care who won the skills competition. I don't even know nor care. Uh, the winner of the three point contest was Lillard. That's probably where my money would have been. And um, Mac McClung won the dunk contest, which is also where I would have put my money. I made fun of him a lot on the last episode, but what he's literally known for is being a dunker. His mixtapes in high school was all dunking highlights, dunk, dunk, dunk. Um, He's in the G League, or he he signed a 10-day or something just before the the All-Star game with Philadelphia, but he's he's in the G League for the Blue Coats and... um, but he he is a dunker. It, that's that was the NBA throwing in like here's a guy who is a dunker. Here's our dunking dunking guy. He's the he's the um this is all he does. It'd be kind of like putting in um you know what's that guy's name Jordan Klingon or whatever. I don't even know what that guy's name is. Um, it'd be like putting somebody like that in there, and so I'm not surprised at all by that. Um, and the All Star Game was of course a complete joke. Um, where nobody played like they gave a crap at all. And it was a bore fest. I kind of kept my eye on it. I did watch the dunk contest, but uh, that was the only thing I think I watched actually live, The however long that takes, 20 minutes or whatever, I watched that, but I didn't watch. I, I kept an eye on the All-Star game, but I didn't sit there and sit down and watch it on bated breath. And um, yeah, it was a mess. It was a complete mess. It was disgusting. It's it's putrid. It's such a waste of time. And um, that was felt in the television ratings. So that's the main thing I was going to talk about here. Was that uh, I've got the I've got the the numbers up here. The NBA All Star Game averaged a two point two Nielsen rating and uh, four point five nine million viewers across TNT and TBS. It was broadcast on both. Um, and had 4.59 million viewers. It was the lowest rated and least watched edition of the game in history. Um, with last year, uh, or sorry, uh, yeah, last year and the year before being the previous records. So uh, for viewers and Nielsen ratings, uh, they were down 29% in ratings and 27% in viewership from last year's game. Uh, the 
declines were the steepest since 2000, which was the first uh, game after the 98-99 lockout. And the record low audience put on this All-Star game was behind the freaking Pro Bowl, which was at 6.28 million viewers on ESPN, ABC, and Disney XD. Also, it was the NBA All-Star Game was also behind the MLB All-Star Game from last year, which was 7.51. Uh, so it was uh, very, very bad. Nobody, uh, nobody gave a crap about the NBA All-Star Game. When, uh, when you're behind the Pro Bowl, which was a flag football game this year, that is crazy. I mean, even the MLB All-Star Game was above the Pro Bowl. So that, that that's nuts. And of course, since we'll talk about NASCAR after, the Daytona 500 uh, had a 4.4 Nielsen rating and 8.17 million viewers. So NBA uh, All-Star Game had just a, a little more than half of the uh, Daytona 500 viewers. So that's wild as well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, just to, to say here, I mean, this is the fans tuning out. They don't care. They don't care. NBA ratings in general have been struggling for several years. They've been going down and down and down and down. And I think that's direct because I could go on for hours about how bad the modern NBA is and how much I hate it. Um, but I think that's a direct reflection because I think the general opinion of a lot of people was just like, yep, they don't play any defense. Everybody's lazy. We don't like these games that are 158 to 160 or 145 or whatever. Right? Uh, it's this is a trash version of basketball, and I think that's been reflected in the overall ratings going down year after year the last several years. And the NBA All Star Game clearly, nobody, everybody is, has tuned it out because they're like, "Hey, these guys are just going to go out there and jog around and chuck up some shots, throw a couple of dunks down, and what? Why do we care?" So I went over all that in the last episode as to to why the NBA All Star Game and the All Star Weekend is such an atrocity that they have allowed it to uh, to reach. But, um, yeah, absolutely uh, terrible to sh no one's surprise whatsoever. Uh, the uh, It was big time tuned out, and the game was awful. And you can expect me to be sitting here next year saying, well, the NBA All-Star game reached a new record low, down 20% from 2023. So that's uh, that won't be a surprise um, at all. Uh, yeah, I mean, moving on, uh, moving on from that NBA All-Star game and the All-Star weekend was a disaster, shocker, who could have saw that coming? Literally everybody. Uh, so I wanted to talk about the, some NHL trades and stuff, um, uh, in this, around in this episode, but the trade deadline is in four days. So we're just going to wait to discuss that. So NHL, I did not forget about you. I have been seeing some of the moves that have gone down. Uh, but I'm sure we're going to see some bigger moves. I know that um, Patrick Kane is still yet to be moved, uh, and that should be one of the bigger deals. Um, and uh, that that just hasn't happened yet. Uh, so we'll wait till next week's episode. Uh, the deadline is the 3rd, March 3rd or 4th. It's either the 3rd or the 4th. So by the time that we get around to being able to record an episode next week, it'll be done, and we'll talk about all the deals there too. Um. So yeah, let's get into the last segment here. Um, 
Daytona 500 and the final race at Auto Club since we didn't have an episode um, properly last week to discuss the 500. Um, Daytona 500, the winner was uh, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. The 500 uh, often produces, in recent years at least, well, no, I guess always. It's produced even when it wasn't a pack race the way it is now, restrictor plates, pack racing. Uh, it always has had the capability of producing some random winners. Uh, Derek Cope, Michael Waltrip, uh, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. this year, Trevor Bain, Michael McDowell. So, you know, some names like that have won the Daytona 500 um, in, in spite of uh, it being the Great American Race and it being a crown jewel and one that every NASCAR driver likes to have in their in their trophy case. Uh, it's produced some random winners due to the the random nature of it. Back in the day when it wasn't pack racing, it was basically, you know, can you get your motor running harder and faster and can you trim your arrow down and, and get basically get your car faster than everybody else and get it to the finish line in one piece? Uh, these days, it's can you get it to the finish line in one piece because of the pack racing and uh, the propensity for accidents. Shockingly, though, there really was only two big wrecks, one at the very end that decided the winner because the caution came out on the last lap when Ricky was in the lead. Uh, and one earlier in the race um, that uh, I think it was a little past the halfway point that involved quite a few cars, but it wasn't enormous. Like you usually get the big one. This didn't really happen uh, this year. And the racing was pretty good. Uh, the overall racing was pretty good. Again, the cars, the spoilers are too high. There's way too much rear drag in those cars. We talked about it before the race where I said that I hoped to be able to see some guys be able to shoot out on their own. Um, it, it just wasn't the case. The racing was better than I think last year uh, at, the, at the plate tracks. But So the package was a little different and it was a little better. But overall, there's still too much rear drag in uh in in the the cars the, the spoiler in particular i i think they would benefit massively from lowering the spoiler at uh, daytona and talladega and atlanta i guess now uh we'll see what they do in the future but yeah there, there's just too much rear drag and the race has gotten the plate races have just gotten to 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 being so reliant on the bumper to bumper ack racing uh draft happy bump draft happy racing uh, that you just end up with 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 uh, demo derby and and you can end up with some unsatisfactory endings where they don't race back to the line, like what we saw happen there because they they threw the caution flag for the wreck at the end of the race and Ricky wins, uh, by being the leader at the time of caution on the last lap. I would really like to see it return to, um. Uh, something resembling the the mid 2000s at those tracks uh, where pack racing and drafting was still key but the guys were not you know uh bumper to bumper the entire time because that's what you have to do i'd i'd like to be able to see less drag on the on the rear of those cars and have cars be able to shoot out and take a line with them and and slingshot around somebody for the win and all that stuff and uh, you're still going to have accidents in, in that type of racing and, and everything anyway, but um, you know, getting the cars unhooked 
from rear bumper to front bumper would be a start. Uh, being able to get them a little bit unhooked to where they are not, you know, just bumper to bumper for, for the entire way, uh, I think is better racing and would like to see that. Um, I'd like to see them be able to, to find a way to make that happen. Uh, but overall the racing, the plate racing was better. I was just still a little bit annoyed about that, that rear drag and the issues there, but uh, the plate racing uh, at the Daytona 500 was definitely better than last year's plate racing that I that uh, that I witnessed. Um, yeah, outside that, not a not a whole lot of thoughts. It was cool to see um, Travis Pastrana bring home the car 11th. You know, that's that's a pretty significant achievement accomplishment there. Um, Ricky Stenhouse really caused that accident that happened behind him too. I will say, if you watch the replay of that, um, Ricky threw down a wild block, uh, which, again, I don't think you'd be able to pull off those blocks if you fix that drag problem. If a guy was able to dart out power pass, you can't block him. Uh, and I, I think a lot, of the, a lot of these accidents we've seen at these plate tracks in recent years uh, have been caused by aggressive, a lot of times they're caused by aggressive blocking. And... Um, as a result, or as, as in part to the, the, the rear drag uh, being created by those high spoilers and guys not being able to slingshot and dart out properly uh, and quickly. You know, when you see a guy coming and, and your spotter's telling you he's coming, he's coming, you throw a block or whatever, and you go, or you have your huge rear 3D camera that I don't think, think should be a thing either, rear view camera thing that they have now. I don't think that should be a thing at all. I think that's very bad. I think they should take those out of the cars. Uh, it, it allows for that to happen, and then you have a lot of these accidents, these wrecks and everything. So it's just always disappointing to see to see these accidents happen. Oh, I guess there, there was actually three. There was two big ones, and there was three accidents. Uh, there was the smaller one a little over halfway, and there was one with about 20 to go. Uh, after the green flag pit stops, which I was really disappointed that that one happened. I was hoping that the green flag pit stops would would go smoothly, and it looked like they were going to, and then somebody screwed up somewhere and caused a pretty big accident because that was so. That was a really good race through that section of the race. It was really exciting, um, and I was hoping it was going to stay green all the way, but just knew that it's Daytona and it probably won't. But um, yeah, Stenhouse caused that. He, he, Larson was going to, I, I was saying as the laps were winding down, I was saying, keep an eye on Larson. I think Larson doesn't, isn't, doesn't excel at the plate tracks. He's a great race car driver everywhere else, but he's competent at racetracks and he doesn't like drafting and pack racing and he isn't big on it. But I was saying, keep an eye on him because he's been lurking all day. He's been kind of lurking, looking like he's pretty strong. He just is waiting for the right opportunity. And he was coming, and he was going to pass him, and I think he was going to win. But Stenhouse threw a wild block. Larson had to check up. Uh, it killed Larson's momentum, and the nobody went with him. He got shuffled back uh, further into the... It, he got shuffled back, and it got real dicey. The cars were moving and bouncing and having to get out of the way as he's being shuffled back. And uh, I think Hamlin might have bumped Pastrana. It might have been Hamlin. I can't remember. It was somebody bumped Pastrana. Uh, to bump draft him as they're trying to move forward. And of course, Travis Pastrana is not a NASCAR driver. And he got he got bumped there and kind of lost a little bit of control and got into Larson. And Larson, Larson hit hard 
into the uh, into the wall. I mean, head on, spun straight into the wall. I was actually very worried for a couple of minutes when they're showing Stenhouse celebrating and all this stuff or whatever. I was like, can I please get an update on Larson? Because he just earnharted. He just went head on to the wall at 200 miles an hour, and that looked nasty. And with the you know the cars and the concerns about safety, that looked really bad. And I wanted to know whether he was okay. And um, of course, race ends under caution. Stenhouse wins as a result of his block, uh, because the caution comes out. He didn't have to race back to the line, so I was a little bit I was pretty miffed about that. Um, and as it turned out, Larson was okay, but they never told us on the broadcast. I was very upset at Fox. For not saying, by the way, I'm sure you saw Kyle Larson slam into the wall. He is okay. Uh, but I had to go to Twitter, and it was about 10 minutes later that I finally found out uh, because of some stuff, something that somebody posted from the app where you can get the onboard um, audio and video from any driver you want on the NASCAR app. Pretty cool, by the way. Download that if you haven't. Download the NASCAR app for any race. You can click on any driver. You can get the in-car, uh, in-car audio and um uh video from inside their car it's a pretty neat little feature and uh somebody posted that on twitter that, and they said kyle larson's okay he responded on the radio they but he was it was a little concerning because he didn't respond for about 20 seconds after the hit he he slid down the track and everything and his crew chief was going like you okay bud you okay and then he finally went yeah yeah i'm okay <laughs> but he was probably got the wind knocked out of him a little bit there for sure but, uh, I mean, you can probably credit Dale Earnhardt for saving another life there because uh, that was nasty. He, he hit the wall head on. If you, if you don't remember it, you know, give hop up on YouTube there and uh, check that out. Uh, but anyway, those, those are my thoughts, I think, on the 500. Um, you know, I'm just glad Joey Logano didn't win. Am I right, guys? Or Brad Keselowski or some other tool like that. Um, so thank God for that. Um yeah, uh, final race at Auto Club yesterday. I watched um, probably about half the race. I was out, and uh, but I was I was listening and watching it, and I, and I watched the last um, about the last sixty seventy laps, I think, and then some laps before that. So yeah, probably a little over half. And uh, the racing seemed to be pretty good. Uh, the you know the leaders would get out there. My my one issue or, or an issue with this new car and the car ever since the car tomorrow, my biggest gripe has been dirty air. Um, ever since the car tomorrow, it seems when clean air, clean air is always a premium. It always has been. I mean, your car is going to run better in clean air than dirty air, um, historically, but historically the thing about, I think I discussed this before. Maybe I didn't, but the thing about NASCAR that people complain, it's like, ah, guy ran away with it. And you know, he won by three seconds or whatever. That's not an exciting race. And I was one of those people too. Uh, I'll admit, but as I learned more about the engineering and the science and the history of the sport and stuff, as I did more research in uh, the last few years and stuff, that doesn't necessarily make a boring race that a guy won by three, five, six seconds, whatever it is. It's that nobody can catch them and pass them is what makes it boring uh, when you have a bad race like that. And dirty air hurts these cars seems to hurt these cars pretty bad and it hurt the previous generation of cars pretty bad and the one before that back in the day the whole thing that 
why that wasn't totally boring was that there was always a chance that he could get that somebody could get caught. It, it just seems like, and, and I could be totally wrong because I'm looking at it through a different lens from the past, but seems like you could catch a guy in dirty air, um, even in dirty air, if your car was just that much stronger, you could catch him and get him, pass him. And it seems like in recent years, no matter how good your car is, if you're in dirty air, you might get to within a second or something, but you can't get there and you can't pass them. At least, on, you know, like a mile and a half and all that kind of stuff. And Auto Club seemed to have that issue with the leader. Um, Kyle Busch did catch Chastain and pass him just before the green flag uh, pit stops where they they came in and then Bush came out of the pits ahead and Kyle Bush won the race. Um, but it seemed as though uh, there was some, seemed like there was some pretty good racing throughout the rest of the pack races for second, third, fourth, fifth, 10th, some pretty good racing throughout the rest of the pack. That was good to see. That was like, hell yeah. But it's just the guy out in clean air just does seem really difficult to catch. Kyle did catch Chastain. Maybe he just had the better car. He did catch him and he did pass him. I'll give him that. But uh, uh, Chase Elliott was making some pretty good time on Bush toward, down towards the end of the race. Chase finished second. But he got to within about three seconds and that was it. He just did either the car, or the tires wore out or whatever, which might have been what it is, but just couldn't seem to get him. Maybe that was the maybe that was the air coming into play. I don't know. But just my overall an overall gripe that I'll continue to have is the is how much stronger clean air is. Clean air is always going to be stronger and it always has. But it it just has proportionately seems like it has never been stronger than it is in this day and age in NASCAR. Uh, that you just you have such a ridiculous battle to try to get and catch a guy who's got that clean air. A guy who has a fifth place car can win a race if he gets the clean air. You know, if they strategize right and he gets out there into clean air, and you could have a guy who has the first place car and he can catch him. He can get to within five car lengths and he can't pass him. And um, that's a that's an issue that that um, uh, still I just would like to see tweaked out. I'd like to see that tweaked out. I don't know if it's possible. I'd like to see it tweaked out. Uh, but the racing was pretty good. Auto Club Speedway, uh, two-mile-an-hour track, pretty similar to Michigan, but on the West Coast here, uh, is going to be no longer in the two-mile configuration. It is being redone into a short track configuration. The construction is going to take over a year, apparently. So they're going to least miss at least one NASCAR event there, maybe two. Who knows? We might see it. I think it'll be very interesting. We very well might see them visit a different Southern California track, maybe somewhere where they run some late models or something already that can be equipped enough to handle an NASCAR race. Um, it should be interesting to see what, what gets scheduled in that in its place until they return to Auto Club. Uh, but that's being turned into a short track, and there is no chance, absolute zero, that they keep it in the two-mile uh, configuration because... Um, they sold the land. They sold uh, a ton of the land. I think they're keeping 82 acres or something like that for the short track. But they sold a ton of the land for over half a billion dollars for just the land. That's Southern California for you, baby. So, um, 
yeah, it's it's kind of a shame because the last two years, last year was was a good race at Auto Club, and this year was a good race at Auto Club, and it had produced some good races in the past. But much like the rest of NASCAR, the car of tomorrow completely destroyed uh, so many tracks, basically, and changed and destroyed the sport. Um, and it's and the iterations that followed, we just didn't get as good a races. Uh, for many years until this next gen car, the next gen this year, last year seemed to race pretty good at Auto Club. So a little bit of a shame that it's being uh, changed, but uh, I'm I'm not complaining. I'm not complaining uh, overall. Short track, I'm always down for a short track. So, uh, yeah, I think that'll just about do it for this episode. I think we're gonna wrap this one up at about a hour and forty five minutes here. So uh, I want to thank everybody for reaching this point uh of the uh of the show you listened to all of it most of it we were talking mlb a little bit about uh, the disaster that was the all-star game and wrapping it up with our nascar recap for the week uh nascar rate the next nascar race is at phoenix so we'll talk about uh, that one next week and uh the nhl trade deadline and maybe some more storylines from mlb spring training we'll see um We'll be getting, we'll be, it'll be March Madness time here shortly too. So plenty of excitement there. Uh, but yeah, thank you all that uh, made it to the end of the show here. Um, remember to follow the podcast on Twitter at Victory Cigar Pod. That's twitter.com forward slash Victory Cigar Pod or at Victory Cigar Pod on Twitter. Um, of course, just keep an eye on uh, that uh, social media handle every time an episode is posted it'll be tweeted about and of course favorited on spotify or apple podcasts wherever you listen to it you will be able to catch the new uploads there instantaneously so thank you all again uh, for listening and making it this far at victory cigar pod on twitter and we'll see you next week <laughs>